Okay. Which is, if you look back at this yellow sign right here, you guys can't see it, I'll just tell you what it says. It says contributor mentality. It's one of our five things. It's one of our values. We want you guys to recognize that, that uh, this is a crucial time in your life to not just take and consume, but get in the habit of being a contributor. Get in the habit of recognizing that you have a part to play in Christ's kingdom and his mission. So uh, War Eagle would be a great place to do that uh, this summer. Okay. Um, I was baptized when I was 11 years old. Okay. I remember going forward. I remember talking with my dad. I remember him baptizing me. And I remember having a, a really important conversation um, with, with the family member who was telling me of her experience when, when she felt God's spirit speaking to her and God prompting her and her putting it off and putting it off and him pursuing her and, and then finally kind of saying, okay, I'll, I'll go forward. I'm not sure how old she was, maybe 12 or 13. Um, and so she was describing this, and I remember thinking, that's exactly what happened to me. Like, I've, God's been telling me this for weeks, if not months, and I keep putting it off and putting it off, and finally I just gave in and said, all right, I don't care if it's embarrassing, I'm going to stand up and go forward, and I did. And, and so I just remember having that conversation with her um, because it was, it was confirming to me. Okay, I'm not crazy. Like, what I experienced is what she experienced. And, and, and so we had this, this bond. She was really the first person I really felt like, wow, that we, have this, we had the same experience. That was very, um, very important for me at, at age 11 to know I wasn't crazy. Um, that something that God was doing something in me. And then fast forward several years, um, my sister uh, is who that was. She, she got married. She, um, she married her high school sweetheart who wasn't a great, great guy uh, at the time. And, and she, she kind of, they got wrapped up in some, some bad things and kind of reached the bottom. And, and I remember her and him, both of them, turning back to God. I remember them um, trusting in him. I remember them all of a sudden started helping out in church and being at church a lot more and it was just weird because she had and that wasn't the case for like several years for her and and all of a sudden she's back into this and they're serving quite a bit and, and doing all kinds of things fast forward a couple years they're they're living in colorado um have a six-month-old um, son their first child and uh, i get a call from a sheriff uh, and I was at home in, in Kansas is where I grew up and she was in Colorado and I get this call from a sheriff sheriff's department of Colorado Springs saying that my sister's husband had died in a car accident and she had just he had just showed up to tell her and she couldn't call us and so he called and I answered and my parents were gone and I was watching my brother and sister so I took this call and then my sister comes on and I can't understand the words she's saying and Yes, I'll tell Dad. I'll tell Mom. I'll, I'll tell them. I'll. So they get home. My parents get home. They uh, put some things together. Jump, jump in the car, drive 11 hours or however it was, 12 hours, um, to to get her and bring her and her son back to stay with us. And I remember thinking how she, how well she handled all this. I mean, it was, um, it was, it was, I mean, pretty crazy. Uh, I was 18 at the time, and so. I didn't fully grasp, I don't think, everything that was happening in her life, but um, but looking back, I could see, wow, she really did handle that well. And I remember asking her a question, you ever, I mean, how do, how do you, how do you, like, talk about this with God? You, you ever get upset with him? You ever get mad at him? And she, I remember her saying, no, I just, I just kind of 
I've, all, I've never thought of him as doing it. I've always thought of him as the one I go to um, about it. And, and so that was pretty encouraging to me. And I remember you fast forward several years and she'd remarried and she was pregnant with her first child with, with her new husband and that child was having um, complications. And um, she ended up delivering that child, stillborn at eight months. So here she's buried a husband and now buried a child, which would have been her only daughter. And I remember thinking the same thing, how well she's handled this. And fast forward about 10 years, and um, she went on a mission trip, and it seemed like things were going really well. Four months later, all of a sudden, she's dropping a bomb on everybody that she's done with her marriage and she wants a divorce and and come to find out there was lots of other stuff going on affairs on her side hardness of heart was really the issue and and so it's kind of been interesting reading through and studying through this this week to think about my sister and to think about at what point did it change and and I think if you talk to my family and those that were near her and closest to her, um, well, because I was living in California during that time, and so I wasn't really around her all that much, but those that were closest to her would tell you that at some point that something switched, and, and there's just a, there was a de- no desire to talk about it, no desire to deal with it, no desire to work on things, and, and, and a hardness started happening. I mean... To the point where I remember having a conversation with her that she said to me, this is, this is, I kind of knew through my other family that she was having an affair. She didn't know I knew, but she's telling me she was done with her marriage. And she said these words, I'm, I'm going to look back on this and I'm not going to regret this at all. And, and, and that I lost it because I couldn't understand how a person that claimed to be a Christian, the person that knew God could say that. How could you say that? How could you say you'd have no regrets? Like, and it just hit me like, wow, when did, when did that happen? How much, how far back did you start denying God? Did you, your heart become hard towards Him, towards His, like His truth, to, to, to get to the point where you can't even recognize that what you're doing is totally against his plan and his will for you right now and yet you'll have no regrets um, it's been eight years since that conversation I had with her and I get I mean I could there is a wake of destruction uh, in her life in, a, in, <clears throat> in our family's life because of it we've had interventions we've had all kinds of things she's got three boys that are going through I mean they don't know it and some of you have experienced this or maybe worse in your family and, and, and some of you and maybe have gone to bed at night crying yourself to sleep because you wish your parents would just do the right thing um, I know that's the case for my nephews and and yet there, there doesn't seem to be still to this day any sort of turning back to him <laughs> And so God has been, it's been an interesting week thinking through this, and, and God has been faithful to help me see a couple things about my own life. One, that I, there have been times when, when I have wanted to 
throw in the towel. And I've been so frustrated with myself and with my sin and with feeling like this is I'm never going to get this. And want to just forget it. I mean, there have been times when I've felt like <clears throat> I don't, I don't want to talk to God about this. I don't want to deal with this. I, I've tried, and I don't, I don't feel like I get anywhere. So, like I've had those moments. I've had those thoughts. I've, I haven't, by God's grace, and and honestly, to this, I can't explain why. He's continued to put, be faithful in my life, and I can tell you, I can test to the times in which He's called me back to Him, and by God's grace, I've I've answered Him. But um, I've I've known what it's like to, to be apathetic about the things of God, to be anxious and, and, and frustrated with where life, where I am in life, to wish I was somewhere else, and to, in a sense, without necessarily saying it out loud, almost blame God for it. Why am I here? <laughs> like I thought I was following you, and this is where you have me? Why? I've been there. And so I... I know what it's like, and, and my guess is in, in your short time, and those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, if it's been longer than, I don't know, a few years, my, my guess is you've had moments where you've wrestled with those things. So I, I, let me ask this now, and we'll come back to it later, but anybody in here, don't raise your hand, this is a rhetorical question, answer in your head. Um, <laughs> You just sense a growing appetite for sin. You, um, there, there's an increased apathy towards the things of God. Kind of like, oh, and I don't, I don't know, sure, and I don't care attitude. Maybe a growing anxiety and frustration in your life that that you're not where you thought you would be, that things aren't working out the way you hoped, that something's gone wrong that you didn't expect. Maybe worldly things become have become a little more attractive to you. Uh, the, the things of God feel more like a straitjacket to you. So these might be signs of your heart hardening. And we'll, we'll come back to that. But the Israelites, it's an interesting story that he picks up on, the author. He, he goes back to, and, and Drew alluded to this story, and I, I love that verse, I underlined it in, in Exodus 17. But think about the Israelites, okay? So, th this is what's fascinating about them. They, they experience miracles and wonders and signs that you and I probably will never experience. I mean, think about, think about that generation that, that walked out of Egypt. So they had seen these ten plagues. They had seen God wipe out the firstborn son of all of Egypt. And then, they, and then they witnessed Egypt saying, hey, we want you to leave, and by the way, we want you to take all of our gold and silver too with you. Just come into our house and take what you want and leave. Can you imagine walking out of Egypt with a sack full of gold and silver and you've been a slave your whole life and God's leading you to the promised land? Like, can you imagine that day? In fact, they, Jewish people continue to celebrate that day the Feast of the Eleven Bread, because all they had, they were in such a hurry to leave, they didn't have time to let the bread leaven or rise, and so they celebrated it. This was a, a moment of freedom. This was huge 
and and they celebrated every year because of it called the Feast of the Leavened Bread and 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 Passover obviously was a huge part of that as well but they're walking out of Egypt with sacks fulls of of gold and silver and they're on their way to the promised land then they get to the Red Sea and and then all of a sudden they're in front of the sea and they look back and Pharaoh's army's chasing them and they're God, why'd you bring us out here to die? And then God does something even more amazing. He parts the Red Sea. They walk through the sea. And then they get to the other side, and the sea crashes around the Egyptian army, and God saves them again. And then it isn't but days or weeks. And they're right where Drew was describing them, complaining about being hungry, and God drops food from the sky. And birds fall at their feet. And complaining about being thirsty and God breaks, lets water come from rocks and it's not good enough. Listen to this in Numbers 11, 5 and 6. It says, We remember the fish we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the, and the onions and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Like God's dropping food from the sky and they're complaining about it because it's, it's not, you know, it was better back in prison. Like, we, had, we ate good in prison. And they're free, and yet, and, and God is delivering them, and yet they're grumbling. So how does a people who experienced incredible things still not get it? Still not, it, 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 when their needs weren't being met the way they wanted them to be met, there was an issue between them and God. And it brings up a couple things. One, and I've seen this, and Drew alluded to this. Um, when faith is about being rescued, more than the rescuer is when we get in trouble. When, when your faith becomes more about being rescued and what, what's going to happen to you than it is about the one who's rescuing you. And all of a sudden, our, our faith is about us. Our faith is centered in us more than it's centered in the one in whom is rescuing us. The other, the other thing that comes to mind is it's not what happens to you. It's who you turn to. It's, it's what you turn to or who you turn to. It's not what happens to you that, that affects your relationship with God, that turns you from Him or, 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 or draws you closer to Him. It's how you handle those things. It's, it's who you turn to in that moment. That's that's what makes your faith stronger. It's, it's not the circumstances of your life. It's, it's the God of those circumstances. You can turn to Him or you can run from Him, but God gives you a choice. And, and some of you, maybe you haven't, um, maybe you're not there right now. Maybe, you know, maybe life's been fairly okay for you and you haven't had any major things that you've had to wrestle with and you haven't, you haven't come to a, like the end of your rope and going, I can't do this anymore. But, but I almost guarantee you, you will. Like life has a way of beating some of that stuff out of you. It just does. And I'm not like here to like give you bad news, but it's just, just life. I mean, it, like there will be a day when you will have unexpected tragedies or unexpected circumstances in your life. Like death and disease will come into your life with the people you know and love. Like it just, it happens. Some of you have already experienced that. Some of you are experiencing that. But I guarantee you, some of you, all of you will at some point. 
so where do you, who do you turn to? What do you do in that moment? What about disappointment in life? What, you've put all this time and all this money, you get, got into all this debt, and you pick a career, and you hate it. And you, you, you think, you, and you look back and you go, God, I was asking you to tell me what you wanted to do, and I picked this thing, and I get in here, and I don't like it, and why am I here? Like, what if you, what if you get into your marriage and you, and you at some point go, I think I married the wrong person? Which, by the way, you would be normal if you have that thought. And it's hard to believe. Um, Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, describes, uh, quotes somebody, I can't remember who it was, it was very impactful for me. I can't remember the guy's name, but what he said was, at some point, every spouse thinks they married the, the wrong person. That's true. I think that's been true in my life. It's been true of every, every mature marriage that I've talked to, is to recognize, yeah, at some point I've been disappointed in the person I'm with. What do you do in that moment? How do you, how do you move past that? How do you trust God through that? How do you, where do you turn? What about when God seems silent and you, you feel alone? What do you do in that moment? What about when your heroes fail you? What if people that you look up to bail on Jesus? Like, what if Drew gets a sex change and becomes a nun? I don't know why he would do that, but... I don't know. It was the only option that came to mind. I don't know. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. That's why I'm going last this time. That'd be weird, but I don't know. But what if what if somebody you look up to, somebody you, you respect in the faith, somebody who's smart, who's taught you incredible things about God, what if they what if they turn? What if they throw in the towel? What if they disappoint you and you find out they're having an affair or like what do you do in that moment? How do you, where, where do you turn? I mean, these are things that happen. Talk to people. They're things that happen. Um, Dallas Willard said this. He said, the Christian life is more about what you do when you realize there's nothing you can do. Like, he says, it, it's, it's, it's more about what you do in that moment when you recognize, I can't do anything to fix this. Like, what do you do in that moment? That's what matters. That, that's where you turn and who you turn to is what makes the difference. I thought this was interesting that the, the author says in verse 16, he says, Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? He's referring to these people who hardened their hearts, who became rebellious, who disobeyed, who, did, who didn't believe anymore. And he's, he's pointing out the fact that you're, he's saying to these Jews, you're wanting to turn back to Moses and follow him. But wasn't it all those people who that were following Moses? Wasn't it them who? And again, he's not dogging Moses. He, he's saying Moses is a great servant. He's saying they were following the wrong one. They were following the man who rescued them instead of the God who was rescuing them. The point is this. Like, they were wanting to turn back to something that was way less than 
that was actually going to lead them the, the wrong way. Turning back to Moses for us could be turning back to a life where we, I, I'm just going to do this myself. I don't know if you've got to that point. Like, okay, Jesus isn't coming through and things aren't happening as quick or, or the way you want them. And so, you know, I, I kind of know what's best for my life. I'm going to, I got this. I don't need you anymore, God. I got this. That's, that'd be turning back. Another way turning back to Moses would be, all right, I'm going to take control of my life and I'm going to do every religious thing that I can. I'm going to go to church every week. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do all the things that I'm supposed to do so that when I get to heaven, God, God can't turn me away. Like, I'm going to earn my way there. I'm just going to take matters in my own hands. Forget this faith stuff because that's too nebulous and that's too much. That's, too, that's less of me in control. I'm going, to, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to live this religious life. I'm going to do it the best that I can. But those are two ways that people live that are not the gospel way. So, solution. You're going to think I'm really smart when I say this. Look to Jesus. Yep, Bible college degree. And that's my answer. Um, so, look to consider Jesus is what the author says. Look to Jesus. So, what does that mean? Well, he's saying you want to turn back to Moses, and he led, and he he was leading them, and they they disobeyed and they rebelled. But if you turn and look to Jesus, he will never lead you astray. Like he's the he's the great shepherd. Jesus calls himself. I am. So, I am the way. He says, I am the truth. I am the life. Um, he is the great shepherd. So two ways. Two ways we look to Jesus. One, we need to know who he is, so that we can know what we can trust him with and what we can't trust Him with. Like, you need to know who Jesus is because you need to know what you can trust Him with and what you can't trust Him with. You can't trust Him with everything. Don't trust Jesus with everything. That would be foolish. Don't trust Jesus to make your life comfortable. Don't trust Jesus to, to make sure you have everything you want in this world, like pleasures of this world. Don't, don't trust Jesus to make sure that you... That, that He does everything you want Him to do. That would be foolish. Don't trust Jesus with those things. Because He's never promised those things. He actually promised that there will be difficult times, but He promises He will be the one, He's the one that's overcome, and so look to Him. You can trust Him with that. You can trust Him um, to be the one who's reigned supreme over everything, including the struggles you have in life. You, you can trust Him with the fears of your future, the the struggles of your present and, and the, the failures of your past, you can trust Him with those things. You can trust Him to lead you closer to God. You can trust Him to um, sanctify you and, and, and grow your character and, your, and grow in likeness of Him. You can trust Him with those things. You can trust Him to be the one who um, points people to Jesus through you. You can trust Him to uh, minister to your friends by His strength and power. You can trust Him with those things. But there's certain things you can't trust Him with. And you can't know that until you get to know Him. That's why we have theology. That's why we study the Bible. is So we get to know the God in which we serve. The Rescuer. You, you also need to have an intimate relationship with Him. And... and and one of our five things, this life in Christ, abiding in a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Life-giving relationship. Like, you need that from Him. He's a great shepherd. 
Um, turn to Psalm 23. This has been fun to kind of think through. Um, Psalm 23, maybe a familiar psalm to some of you, um, but as with, with Jesus as our shepherd, we shall not want. Like, if, if Jesus is your shepherd, and you recognize that He's providing everything for you, including His people and His Spirit in your life, and His Word to encourage you and to reveal Himself to you, He's providing everything. What shall you want more than that? The author's saying, I shall not want. Is Jesus enough for you? Is, is Jesus and all that he provides enough for you? I shall not want. I shall not have any wants more than you. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He recognizes when we need to slow down. He recognizes our needs and, and leads us to where they can be met. Like he knows us. We can trust Him. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Like he makes me more like Him. Not so that I'm awesome and so that everyone sees me, so that, but ultimately for His name's sake so that people glorify Him. My righteousness leads to His glory. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and some of you will, He says, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your power and your wisdom is, a, is far above anything else in this world. And, and, and that comforts me, because you can trust Him with that. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and yet I am anointed and my cup overflows. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like trusting Jesus with your life means you live life in his kingdom, which is full of goodness and mercy and grace and truth and an ultimate reality. Like you will dwell in his house forever. This kingdom that you are in now will continue forever. It's he is your shepherd. Imagine if your relationship with him was one in which you could pray that prayer to him, that psalm to him, and believe it. The second thing I think that, that the text reminds us to do is found in Thirteen. And Drew talked about this word exhort or encourage. It's often used or urge or appeal. It's ways it's used in, in the New Testament that we are to incur, in, exhort one another. I love this idea of walking alongside in truth. I love what he said. Loving truth that strengthens. That's, that's awesome. So here's the thing. Some of you are in here 
you're going. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think my heart, my heart's hardening towards God. I, th- I think I'm currently, I'm in a good place right now. Here's what I'd say to you: You have a responsibility and an obligation to think about those in your life whose God's put in your life, that He may be challenging you to exhort, to walk alongside. Maybe it's maybe it's someone that's not coming anymore, and it doesn't have to be this place, but it, the not coming anymore is a representation of them kind of slowly walking away. Them just they're busy, they got a lot going on, and there's not the, the things of God aren't a priority to them anymore and so you have a responsibility and obligation to reach out to them and say hey what's going on like where you been how you doing let's meet what's going on how's your relationship with God you start asking those kinds of questions and things surface and you have a choice you can just shy away from speaking truth be afraid that they may not like you or you can say you know what I care too much about you and I'm going to say this to you um, what are you doing and where are you heading Who's your shepherd? You have an obligation and responsibility. And, and for those of you who maybe recognize that, okay, some of those things are happening, like that you described, that might be evidence of my heart hardening. Here's the thing. You need to seek others to exhort you. Like you need help. You need to confess that to others. The Bible's clear about that. We confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. Like we... We need to confess that, hey, I, I, don't know, I don't know what it is. I just know that some of those things are happening to me. You need to tell somebody that. You need to tell somebody that you're struggling, that you need encouragement. And you don't just need people, like Drew said, to tell you that you're nice and to, and to compliment you so you can feel better about you. You don't need that. That's not helpful. What you need is someone who's going to point you to God. Love, godly love helps you love God more. Godly love doesn't help you love yourself more. Godly love helps you love God more. You need people in your life that are going to help you love God more. Talk to somebody. If you don't have somebody, come talk to us. But talk to somebody. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word of encouragement and challenge and truth. thank you God for your body for your family that, that as you it says you are the builder of we are your house and you have built your church uh, to be a place of, of to be a home to be a place of um, love and truth and accountability and encouragement and and God, it's a beautiful thing. I pray that we would be the body of Christ to each other. Um, I pray that we would recognize our place in this and what you're calling us to do. And God, that we would be faithful to do it. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I appreciate most of what Scott had to say tonight. <laughs> uh, especially those last words that, that like we are, we, it is required of us um, to walk faithful with Jesus, that we do that in community. Um, and, and we need those people in our lives who speak truth to us. Um, I hope you have some of those friendships and relationships, and I hope you know that that's sometimes built by simple things like hanging out for a little while afterwards. And that's not, that, that's not to say, you know, we're going to be watching the door and start shouting heathen for everyone who walks out. Sinner! Yeah, it's not like, this isn't like a brownie points if you stay. We, we want you, we just, we just 
love for you to be able to, there's some valuable friendships that could take place in here. And we understand if you got homework, and we understand if you got, that's totally cool. We just want you to know, we, we, when we do, we set out food and stuff and do this so that we can hang out and build the kind of community that's kind of described in that stuff. So, hope, hope you're able to do that a little bit. Hope you've got too much homework, you can hang out for a little bit with us. Anything else? Nope, that's good. Thank All you. Right.